following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Hello, I'm Bridget, and I have the honor and, um, yeah, honor to introduce our guest speaker today. Um, I'm super excited um, that he's here. Dennis Johnson has been a pastor in the Rochester area for over 20 years. Um, he's served in lots of different capacities um, throughout the city, and um, most recently he has uh, started a new job as the director of multicultural student success at Roberts Wesleyan College. And um, I've known him for the last 10 years as a worship and a teaching pastor. Um, he has been super influential in, in helping me see God in ways that I never would have seen him before. And I grew up in church. So um, let's give him a super warm welcome and also get an artisan whoop like somewhere, <laughs> somewhere close by, like maybe in your back pocket. Uh, he's got some awesome things to say. Um, he... He chooses his words wisely. He's a challenging speaker, an awesome man. So thank you so much for being here, Dennis. Cash, one, two. Wow, it's good to be here. Woo, woo is the new amen, I'm told. I can get with that. I can get with that. It is so good to be here uh, today. I love this community. Um, over the years, I've had the opportunity. I'm sorry. I'm a little. I want to preach with these. Uh, I, over the years, I've had the opportunity to uh, uh, step through through these doors and other locations that Artisan has been, and it's always been such a blessing. Pastor Scott, I knew, do you guys use titles around here? Pastor Scott, Scott. Um, that's my brother from another mother. Uh, as I was coming into college, he was leaving college, and we had the opportunity to connect then and, and over the course of the, of the years. I won't say how long it is, but um, every single time I had opportunity to, to cross paths with Scott, it's been uh, a, a huge gift to me. And so today, even in his absence, uh, I do honor Scott uh, and for who he's been in my life and, of course, in leading this community and uh, artisan, I'm a huge fan of y'all. I'm a huge fan of this community. I, I celebrate you. Every time I would have vacation and snuck in here, you didn't even know I was checking you out. And uh, you, you breathe life into me and uh, so excited about this has been a big month for y'all. Hey, uh, and I and I celebrate you with the, especially with the, the inclusion statement a couple weeks ago and, and all that and the, the things rain. This is absolutely amazing. This is an incredible church. If you don't know it, let me just tell you, this is an incredible church. And um, uh, you are a beacon of hope in this city. You're an example. You are an inspiration. And I'm, I'm excited to be with you today. I'm, I'm uh, going to speak about a few things in John chapter 16. Uh, if you have the red Bible, it's page 879. John chapter 16. Scott said I could preach on uh, whatever I wanted. And, and before looking at what the text was, I said, oh, I'll just stay within in the series that you guys are in. Uh, and then I looked at the text, and I'm like, this is, this is wild. This is like a maze. And then I looked at a commentary, and, the, and I'm not even playing. The one commentary said, uh, like, don't try to preach on John chapter 16. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I was already stuck. I already committed to it. So I, I'm going to make a mess, and then John can come and uh, uh, clean this up in a couple of weeks. So John chapter 16, I'll read uh, in just a few moments, chapter 
16, verse 16 will begin. But I, I was thinking about this actually just this morning, you know, famous last words, famous last words. Have you, you heard this whole deal about famous last words? There's wisdom uh, in, in the words that people say just before they die, right? Humphrey Bogart said this. He said, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. That's wisdom for your life right there. Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart says, I'm going to Gloria now, as it was his wife. James Brown said, I'm going away tonight. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci said, I have offended God and humanity because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Yeah, that's, that was special there. <laughs> One of my favorites is Buddy Rich. Uh, just before he was going to go into surgery, he said, um, uh, the nurse asked him, is there anything that you can't take? And Buddy Rich said, yeah, country music. That's the, that's the word. If you don't hear anything else I said today. <laughs> Famous last words. There is, of course, Trayvon Martin who said, what are you following me for? Eric Gardner said, uh, I can't breathe. Lando Castile said, I wasn't reaching. You hear about these, these last words. You know, we often remember them. Some of them are funny, obviously. Some of them are inspirational. Uh, uh, a lot of times when we actually remember the last words that people say, it's impactful. And here we come to John chapter 16, and, and, and this is what is called the farewell discourse, right? From chapter 13 to 17, here John decided to compile some of the last words that Jesus, this rabbi, the, the sage, gave to his disciples. And here we are, we can hear these, these famous last words, the, 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 the words that meant something. You've been thinking about some of these the last few weeks as you've you heard about what does it mean to produce fruit that would last. Uh, last words that would talk about what is that commandment to love. The last words that say, hey, listen, if you follow Christ, you just might be hated by some people. And that brings us to this, this text to, for, for today. Uh, beginning in, in John chapter 16, here are some of the last words that Jesus would say before he would be arrested and crucified. Beginning, uh, it says like this. It says, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will... Uh, and you will see me. Verse 17, he says, then some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying to us a little while and you will no longer see me? And again, a little while and you will see me. So it is because I am going to the father. Verse 18, it says, they said, what does he mean? That in a little while, we do not know what he is talking about. 19, Jesus says, uh, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. Uh, so he said to them, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said a little while? And you, can you see what I'm saying? Just, okay. Anyways, verse 20, he says, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish, the cause of the joy of having uh, brought a human being into the world. So you have pain, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And on that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. 
Gracious Lord, would you uh, open up our eyes that we would see? Open up our ears that we would hear. Open up our hearts that we would receive. And I pray that the things that we would think about today, that, that it would bear good fruit in season. And so we thank you in advance for what you are going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Tate Museum of England, there's a painting which was uh, created in 1885 by George Frederick Watts. And this painting is called Hope. And yet you can see uh, this, this melancholy, melancholy depiction of a woman who is all alone and her, her clothes are tattered and she's sitting on the globe. The, the world that was, was, was created beautiful and, and good at the word of the Lord is now, uh, it's broken, it's, it's tattered, it's, 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 it's torn. She's blindfolded and she, you can see she's clutching a wooden lyre with only one string left. There she is leaning towards the instrument, perhaps so that she could hear the faint music that she can make with just that one string. Uh, uh, The the artist G.F. Watts called this hope. Around that time, uh, G.K. Chesterton saw this painting and, and he criticized it, saying that this painting should actually be called despair. Well, 100 years later, in the mid-80s, uh, there was a pastor from Chicago who got a look at this picture, and he said, uh, in spite of being a world torn by war, in spite of being a world destroyed by hate, and in spite of being a world devastated by distrust and disseminated by disease, in spite of being on a world where uh, famine and greed were uneasy bed partners, In spite of being a world where apartheid and apathy fed the fires of racism, her harp is all but destroyed except for that one string that was left. He said, in spite of all these things, the woman had, watch this, the audacity to hope. She had the audacity to hope and to make music and to praise God with that one string she had left. I want to say uh, I was reminded of this picture and of this story and of these words of this pastor from the 80s when I read this text. This this text was in the in the peak of the Roman Empire. It was written uh, where where the Roman Empire, there was there were about one million people who were considered the elites. They were the wealthy. They were the strong. They were the powerful. And then and they they owned 50 percent of all of the wealth. And then there were 49 million non-elites, and they had the rest of the wealth. They were under the power. They were subjected to the, to the rule of the Roman Empire. They were, they were poor. They were slaves. They were people that were conquered. And, and on this landscape, here comes Jesus and his disciples. And they would have been a part of the non-elite. They would have been a part of the subjected class. And, and, and there they were hoping, the Jewish people were praying for, they believed that a Messiah would come and release them from the oppression that would put them back back onto uh, top of the, the hierarchical chain again, that, that they would be rulers once again for that's what they believe that they were, were destined to. And you can imagine the thoughts of the disciples traveling with Jesus, hearing Jesus speak great things and, and seeing Jesus do many miracles and, and Jesus's influence growing day by day. And then here comes these words in, in John chapter 16, Jesus says, in a little while, I'm going to leave you. 
All of their hopes were in this man, Jesus. All of their hopes were in this movement. All of their hopes were all about the the victory that Jesus, the Messiah, they expected him to, to have. And just moments before Jesus is about to die, he says, I am going to leave you. Uh, uh, it's, it's a little bit ambiguous. It, it, it could mean that he was speaking about uh, his absence when he would be crucified and, and dead for three days and then, and then would return to them at the resurrection. Or it could mean uh, what we're in the middle of right now where Jesus would ascend to heaven and is not physically here with us for however, however long this is going to last. Here we're now 2,000 years. It could mean that Jesus was going to be absent in this period, whatever it was, whether it was that one or whether it was this one, Jesus's absence was going to be hard. He says they were going to have grief. They were going to weep. They were going to mourn. It was going to be like a woman who was in labor. Can you imagine the devastation? Can you, can you imagine the confusion? Uh, can, you, can you imagine the hopelessness that, that began to settle in the, the disciples' hearts as they, they began to grasp what Jesus was saying, as they began to experience just a few hours later the reality of Jesus' absence? Have you ever experienced anything like that 2,000 years ago? Have you ever experienced situations where it felt like Jesus was absent uh, have, have you ever uh, you know, experienced what it was like to, to, to look for Jesus, but you couldn't find him? Uh, I, I grew up, I'm, I'm, uh, my, both my parents were ministers, and on my dad's side, four generations of, of, of vocational ministers. I grew up in church. I went to Christian schools all my life. I, I am like uh, the poster child for, for Christian families. I grew up hearing uh, uh, the, the, the words like some of us have heard in the room, that Jesus would never leave us or forsake us. I grew up singing the songs that said that Jesus would walk with me and, and talk with me and tell me I am his, his own. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I grew up having a little talk with Jesus would make it all right. I, I grew up uh, uh, seeing the footprints of the sand, and when there's just one footprint, that was mean Jesus was carrying me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I grew up, I could, I could sing all the songs, I could say all the words, could do all the prayers, uh, but, but, and, and I felt some of the warm fuzzies in my experience. I've, I have experienced uh, great comfort in my experience. I have sensed the voice of Jesus speaking to me in various times. But what do you do when you're looking for Jesus and you can't find him? Uh, what do you do when the, when the money gets funny and Jesus is nowhere to be found? What do you do when you go to the doctor's appointment and the words that come back at you are devastating and, and there is no walking in the garden and telling me that I am his own? What, what do you do when, when relationships are, are falling apart or when you just lose your job? What do you do when there's an executive order that comes from number 45 that begins to threaten the well-being of you or some of the people that you love? I'm sorry, I'm getting too close here. What do you do with, 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 with legislations or with, with laws that, that will, will, will change the trajectory of your family? What do you do when things go on and you cannot find Jesus? I started, obviously, really young. Uh, uh, she said, I've been in, 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 in pastoral ministry for over 20 years. Obviously, black don't crack, like you can see. I'm sorry. A, a, a little too comfortable right there. 
I started very young and, and began music ministry as a middle schooler and began teaching and preaching as, as a young 20-something. And can I tell you that I've had to stand on the stage and lead people in, in singing and, and saw people encouraged, and I was not sure uh, that, that God was actually listening. I've, I've had to come and stand in, in, a, in a place like this and preach, and I wasn't sure that I fully believed the words that were coming out of my mouth. Here, here I, I can identify with the disciples to say that there are some times where I would do what I knew to do, but I couldn't find Jesus. Am I the only one in the place? And here we see John chapter 16. What do you do when, you, when it seems like Jesus is absent? I don't have a formula for you. I don't have a prescription. But there are some three ideas that were illuminated to me in this text that I want to share, and then I'm going to take my seat. I don't know how long y'all used to have in church, but I'm, I'm feeling good, so we might be here for a while. Over there. <laughs> in the times where it seems like Jesus is absent, in the, in the times uh, where, where we're confused and devastated, there, there are three things that I want to call to our attention in this text. The first thing is to... To surrender to the spirit. Would you say that? Surrender to the spirit. Come on one more time. Surrender. In in the verses just before the verses that we read today, uh, we would see that Jesus promised the person of the Holy Spirit would be with him. In verse 7, Jesus says that, that I have to go because then the spirit who would be your advocate would come and help you when you're in a time of trouble. Uh, Because in our own self, we don't have the power, we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the ability to get out of our mess sometimes. But Jesus said the Spirit of God is, is, is an advocate. That helps us. Verse 8 through 10, the spirit of God uh, is, is the one who would bring conviction about sin or, or righteousness. Because the reality is when we're in our mess, sometimes we have blind spots. And so there, the Spirit of God is not just our advocate, but the Spirit of God brings conviction. Verses 8 and 11, the Spirit of God brings judgment against the forces of evil that are present around us. When we look at that, that globe, we see that woman on top of the world that, that is broken and tattered and, and the strings of her harp are missing. We can see that because there is evil in our world. And, and here Jesus says, the Spirit of God will bring judgment against that evil. Verse 13 to 15, the Spirit of God would guide us into all truth. The Spirit of God would speak the words of Jesus to us. The Spirit of God would promote or glorify Jesus. Here we go, in the times of devastation, in the times where we can't find Jesus, the first thing that I want to suggest that we begin to embrace is surrender to the Spirit. If you would allow me to take a Pentecostal detour for a moment, uh, This is what I believe is what Paul is admonishing us to do in the book of Ephesians, where he says this. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. That's what Paul said. Do not be drunk with wine. I know that in this room that none of you have ever been drunk before. So let me tell you about how that goes down. Uh, uh, In order to get drunk, I'm told that you've got to go to a place where the spirits are being served. I'm preaching already. You just missed it. 
Uh, and then you order your, your drink. And, and the reality is, right, like for most of you, um, one drink is not going to do uh, what it needs to do to get you drunk, right? So you have to drink it and you have to keep on drinking. And, and so then I'm told the more that you drink, uh, then something starts to happen uh, where, where the room starts to spin just a little bit, right? Your vision is affected by how much you drink. And then and inevitably you're going to have to go to the bathroom. So you get up and try to walk and it seems like somebody is shaking the room and you think you're walking in a straight line, but everybody else in the room is convinced that you are, have, are skunk drunk, right? Uh, and then you, you go to speak and your speech is slurred. It is obvious that you have had too much to drink. And so there you are, you've, you've drunk all of the, this liquor or whatever it is and your vision and your speech and your movement and your blood alcohol level, it's all affected, right? by the alcohol. And Paul says this, he says, don't bother with getting drunk with wine. He says, but be filled with the spirit. And in other words, I believe what he's encouraging us to do is to be filled with the spirit in such a way that our vision is affected. Uh, that we don't see things the way that we would normally see it, but we would see it because we're intoxicated by the spirit. We have heaven's perspective. Be filled in such a way that we, it is undeniable that our speech is saturated with the spirit of God. Uh, be filled in such a way that when we would move, when we would act, it is undeniable that it, w- that, that it is not our own influence, but the spirit of God is influencing where we go and what we do and how we interact. Be filled with the spirit of God in such a way that on the inside of you, that there is change. The first thing I want to say is, is that in these times, when we're going through these seasons where Jesus is absent, Sometimes we need to just say a simple prayer that says, Lord, fill me up again. Spirit of God, fill me up again so that my vision is is your vision, so that my speech is your speech, so that my actions are your actions. I'm told that when you you get drunk that um, the next day it begins to wear off. And so if you you wanted to get drunk and stay drunk, then you have to keep on drinking, right? That's... uh, in, in the same way, the Greek tense in that, in that passage in Ephesians, it doesn't just say be filled with the Spirit and it's a one-time thing, but it's be filled and keep on being filled with the Spirit. Uh, day by day, we say, advocate, would you advocate for me? Day by day, Spirit of God, would you continue to lead me into the truth? Spirit of God, would you bring conviction where conviction is needed? In the time, in the devastation where Jesus seems absent, there we have the Spirit of God who is with us. Number two, uh, first, first we, we would surrender to the Spirit. Secondly, we would pray to God in the name of Jesus. That's number 24, verse number 24. Pray to God in the name of Jesus. In the moments when Jesus is absent, Jesus said, ask in my name and you will receive and your joy will be made full. Not only do we surrender to the spirit of God, but we pray to God in the name of Jesus. In the, in the early years of America, um, uh, there, were, there were presidents uh, who, who engaged in the, in the personal affairs of the citizens way more than what we would see today. And in particular, I heard a lot about how Abraham Lincoln would, would uh, interact with a lot of the citizens. People would come to the White House just to be able to interact with him, and he would get involved in their personal situations. Well, the story goes like this, that there was, there was one man who had attempted to see President Lincoln, and he couldn't get in. And so 
he went to the park and he is bawling and a little boy sees this man bawling in the park and, and he goes, sir, what's wrong? What's wrong? And the man told this little boy, he said, listen, my brother is in prison and he's on death row and he's about to be executed in just a few days. And he said, I, I desperately tried to see Abraham Lincoln, the, the president of the United States, to ask for a pardon, but, but I couldn't just walk in and they wouldn't give me audience with him. And that little boy was so impacted by this man's story that he took the man by the hand and he said, come with me. And so, so the man confused, uh, he, he begins walking with this little boy and they go up to the White House and they, they walk through the doors of the White House and they pass some of the guards and, and then he passes the secretary and nobody said a word to them uh, and, and this man could not believe that this little boy had that kind of power. And, 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 and he was going all the way till he got to the room where President Lincoln himself was sitting. And President Lincoln stood up and walked over to the little boy and said, son, how can I help you? And he said the, the, the reason that the, the man couldn't go in to the White House and just ask Abraham Lincoln was because he had no relationship with the president. But, but there the boy was able to pass all of the opposition, all of the, the guards and the secretaries and the rules and the laws that says you can't do this. And he was able to walk right into the room with the president and make a request. And there that man's brother was rescued. I want to say that John 16 would, would suggest this, verse 24, that we can petition God. With our prayers, we have access to God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, no matter the opposition, God hears our prayer. And God responds. I don't know about you, in the time of trouble, I don't have the poetic prayers of, of the great Thomas Cranmer. I don't come to God saying, uh, Oh, oh, gracious and merciful God and your beautiful bounty. And I don't have time for it. Like in a time of trouble, in the, in the time of despair, in the time where Jesus is answered, I might just get like the, the, the people of Israel in Exodus 1 and say, God, do you see the mess that we are in? Would you rescue us? The word is that God responds to the cries of God's children. Uh, sometimes I would be like the psalmist in Psalm 69 that says, save me from this life where I feel like I am drowning. There, there are times in, or in the Psalms where I would begin to complain to God to say, God, why does it seem like the wicked are, being, are able to celebrate while we who are trying to follow you, who are trying to be righteous, are, are, are struggling? Sometimes I sound like Zechariah that says, God, how long will you forget your promises towards me? Sometimes I sound like Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In the, in the times when Jesus seems to be absent, when I can't find Jesus, in the, in the times where, 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 where I'm in trouble and I'm desperate, we have this prayer, we have this word, we have this verse that says we can call on Jesus, whether it's the beautiful, beautifully written prayers that we find in the Book of Common Prayer or whether it's these prayers of desperation and sometimes accusation and lament against God, we can say, God, come to us. And God is not a God that stands at a distance, but when we cry out to God, God hears our prayer. God enters into our agony, and God responds. I'm, I'm preaching today, if you can hear me. Sometimes those answers aren't the, the way we want or the way that we expect, but Jesus does say, if you would pray, 
if you would ask in the name of Jesus and the authority that only Jesus could grant, you will receive that answer. When it seems like Jesus is absent, we surrender to the spirit, number one. Number two, we, we pray to God in the name of Jesus. And, and, and thirdly, we remember the promise. We remember the promise. Verse 1 of this chapter and verse 33 of this chapter, Jesus says, um, I am telling you these things so that you would not fall away. Uh, Jesus says, I am telling you these things so that you would have peace. He says, I'm telling you these things so that you would take heart because Christ is the victor. Christ is the one who has overcome. Uh, in, in other words, even when it seems like Christ is absent and all hell is breaking loose in our world and all around us, uh, uh, that mess does not have the last word. That's good news right there. Uh, e- even when we encounter the, the present conditions, they do not have the last words. The, 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 the word of the Lord says this, that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign. Thanks be to God, Paul says, who always causes us to triumph. This is the hope that we have uh, as uh, those who have decided to follow Jesus, is that the mess that is in front of us, the mess that is around us, the mess that we are going through does not have the last word. That's, that's what hope is. Hope, hope is the belief that our future has good prospects. Uh, John Ortberg would say that the opposite of hope is despair. You know, d- despair is, is when we desperately want something, but, but we have settled in our hearts that it's not going to happen, and so despair uh, begins to seep into our hearts, and our, 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 our perspective of the future is, is devastating. In, in the middle of despair and hope is resignation. That's the in-between point. It's, it's, it's that thing that people uh, try to dampen down their desires by saying it's not that big of a deal. Uh, they'll say there's, there's plenty of other fish in the sea. It's, it's, it's that thing that Buffalo Bills fans experience. <laughs> I mean, of course, you want the Bills to win, but, but do you actually really believe that they will be victorious? Well, we're not, we're not foolish. Um, on one hand, it's despair, and in the, in the middle is resignation, but then the Bible would show us there is an ultimate hope. Uh, there is the hope that, that what Jesus did on the cross and bringing new life will come to full fruition when Jesus returns, that, that all that is wrong, and the way that N.T. Wright says it, is that the world would be set to right. No more Will we have to worry about the earth having to be fixed up? No more would there be babies with bloated bellies uh, from starvation. No more would there be stories of corporate greed and corruption. No more would there be distances between races and, and souls tortured by addiction and, and, and battered children. No more would there be need for ambulances and, and caskets and soldiers and, and cancers and obituary writers. No more would we have to wrestle with this, but everyone would have a place to live and everyone would have a work that they love to 
to do. And everyone uh, would have a people that they would be loved by and that they could love. And the only use for weapons would be to use them as farming tools. And the lion would lay down with the lamb and, the, and, and, and justice would flow like the rivers. And, and death would ultimately be defeated and joy would triumph. This is what happens when Jesus returns. This is what happens for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we can say we now have this hope. Our future has good prospects. Whatever we see today, whatever we're experiencing today, when we watch the news, when we go in the mess of our families, it does not have the last word. This is what we we build our lives. We stake our lives on. This is how we orient ourselves. In 1604, there was this, this uh, uh, the, the Christopher Marlowe, he had that great uh, folktale uh, of Dr. Faustus. It was published in 1604. You remember that story? Uh, uh, this drama showed Dr. Faustus as an alchemist who, who made a pact with the devil that for 24 years he would enjoy fame and knowledge and satisfaction and, and wealth. But at the end of the 24 years, he would have to give his soul to the devil. And so, so... Uh, The story goes that there was an artist who decided to depict this story on a canvas, and he, he, he put this in the setting of a chess game. And on one side, you can see Dr. Faustus, uh, and on the other side, you see the devil, and they're playing this thing, and the name of this picture is called Checkmate. The game is over, the the devil is the winner, and he's gloating, and Dr. Faustus is awaiting with terror his imminent doom. Well, legend has it that this painting uh, was in a European gallery. Many people came to see it, and, and one day there was a chess master that came to this gallery and was looking at this picture, and he's studying the picture, and he is, he is concerned and he's confused because the name of the picture is Checkmate. And he's there with his friend, and his friend says, uh, what is wrong? And the champion, the chess champion said, hey, listen, um, either they have to change the name of the painting or they have, to change the, uh, 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 they have to change the painting, but this is not checkmate. The, the friend is like, what's going on? He said, listen, he goes, uh, Dr. Faustus has one more move, and it's the winning move. So either they have to change the name of the painting, it can no longer be called Checkmate, or they have to change the, the painting itself. But, but, but the king has one more move, and it's the winning move. Oh, that's preaching right there. That's what, the, the, that's what our Bible would tell us, that, that in times where we are stuck and it seems like life is in checkmate, our circumstances are in checkmate, the king always has another move. That's the story of Moses, right? Moses and the, and the people of Israel, they're, they're, they're escaping slavery. And in front of them is, is the Red Sea. And behind them is the most powerful army in the world. And there is Pharaoh yelling, checkmate, checkmate, I got you. But no, the king had another move. And there goes the Red Sea split in two so that they could escape to freedom and that oppressive army could be destroyed. That's the story of, of David where, where, where David and the people of Israel were under criticism from the Philistine army. And there, there, there there's Goliath on top of the hill yelling, checkmate, checkmate. But, but David says, oh, no, I come in the name of the Lord. And he is able to defeat Goliath under the power of God. Why? Because the king had another move. 
That's the story of Daniel who, who was in the lion's den because he refused to stop praying to the true and living God. And there he is defenseless against these, these, harmless, uh, this, this, these hungry lions. And, and, and Darius is yelling, checkmate, checkmate. But, but the mouths of the lions were shut because the king had another move. This is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ that on Good Friday, just hours after Jesus would speak these words in John chapter 16, he would be arrested and he would be beaten and he would be mocked. And there would be the rulers of Rome yelling, checkmate, checkmate. And, and everybody would say, this is over. The game is done. Go home. This movement is completed. But I'm so glad that, that it did not end there because the king had another move and it was the move of resurrection. It was the move of life it was the move that destroyed the work of the enemy and and put the enemy under the the feet of Jesus that broke the bondage of sin that 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 defeated death hell and the grave the king has another move that no matter what it looks like for Moses or Daniel or David or Jesus the king has another move and the word for us today is the devastation of this world does not get the last word but thanks be to God Thanks be to God who always, always triumphs. In the time I'm done, the, the band can get ready to, to come. In the time, in the time of devastation, in the face of, of the absence of Jesus, the text invites us to surrender to the power of the Spirit. The, the text uh, invites us to pray the words of rescue to Jesus. The the text invites us to remember the promises that Jesus will overcome. I'm encouraged not just by by those things, but when I look at some of the other scriptures, I look at the book of Acts, I look at some of the writings of Paul's, I look at early church history, what encourages me is that I see disciples and uh, Christ followers, I, I see church leaders uh, who did not do a good job of surrendering to the Spirit. I see some in the scriptures and some in early church history uh, who, whose prayer lives sucked. Can I say, I'm sorry, this kid's in the, I just caught a glimpse of a kid, I'm sorry. There are times where I look at the scriptures and I, and, I, and, I, and I look at church history and I see that there were times where these great generals of faith that we call them now, they, they lost sight of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That encourages me when I see that they didn't surrender, that they couldn't pray well, and they didn't remember. Why? Uh, because this is not a formula, it's not a prescription, and it's ultimately it's not about our ability to do these things. It's not about our ability to make things happen, but... but in our weakness, Christ is made strong. When we don't have the strength to surrender, when we don't know what to pray, when, when we keep on forgetting what Jesus said, in our inf- insufficiency, Christ is sufficient. And so today, may we strive to seek to surrender May we strive to pray. May we strive to remember the promises of God. And when we fall short, may we rest in the one who always overcomes. God, we thank you for your words. Be pleased with our thoughts and what has happened here today. Strengthen and encourage us by your spirit in Jesus' name. 
Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.